Welcome to the DGR Podcast. I'm your host, David Gray. Hey guys, David here. Welcome back to the DGR Podcast. This is episode number 97. It's been a little while. It's been over a month since I've uh, done a podcast, chatted to you guys, so I'm going to be a bit rusty. Um, life just kind of gone in the way for a little while. I always, you probably hear me talking nearly on every episode, how I have a struggle to record a podcast. So I'm not going to talk about that. I'm not going to get into that. Um, just life got in the, in the way for a little while and we had to prioritize other things. And also I kind of just maybe didn't have the energy for certain things. So apologies for that if you are an avid listener but hopefully you got a chance to maybe go back and catch up on some of the episodes that um that have been that maybe you didn't listen to or maybe you wanted to listen to again someone actually said to me that they use uh some of our references at uh, episodes as reference points where they will go back and listen several times and they'll pick up new things uh, especially like the solo podcast where i'm breaking down maybe a specific topic so maybe you were able to do that uh, maybe not. Um, it is disappointing because this was the longest I had went without recording a podcast since the podcast started for the first, I don't know, like most for the first or nearly all of the episodes I was doing one a week and then we kind of went to one every couple of weeks for the last few months and then we didn't have one for the last month or so and it's just because we've had a lot going on so i'll just give you a very quick update and then i'll also uh tell you what i'm going to chat about today because it's a solo podcast today so i have three questions and kind of topics that i'm going to cover uh the difference between yielding and overcoming isometrics what do you do if someone keeps going off the plan and their pain keeps flaring up as a result and then the other one is can you put up a video or chat about and explain what the perfect gait cycle might look like so i'm going to chat about those three and i don't think it will be too long because we have a live webinar coming up for dgr interactive uh pretty soon our first live webinar so uh that's in about an hour so shit i actually better be kind of quick <laughs> now that i realize um so quick life update before that uh we got our new house which is out in tremor which is like a a beach town in Waterford where I live where we spend a lot of time anyway and we got our new house and it's beautiful we love it there we're currently um we're not sleeping there yet we've had it for about just over a week and it's been kind of a busy week in between so we actually haven't kind of fully made the move but we've been slowly moving stuff out there every day and spending a little bit of time out there some of the days and yeah it's great I actually love it I re I really liked it when I first saw it then um i really liked it still and then like as i get to spend more time there and as the sun is starting to come out and it's springtime and ireland is starting to get pretty nice i love it now i just love it out there so i'm thrilled i'm thrilled for kira and hopefully the new baby will be able to uh when 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 he or she comes will be able to uh enjoy it out there as well so that's the gym that's the house the new gym is like looking pretty good it's operational you'll probably have seen me you doing videos from it um not quite where i wanted to be in terms of like the entrance is still a bit dirty and the toilets still need to be done properly the office is not uh not fully done uh kind of just just some of the walls are not great and stuff and then i don't have all the equipment that i want 
um i actually think i have i think i have a curved treadmill that's sitting in a like in on a pallet that i haven't opened yet haven't had a chance to even open it because i'm like oh fuck i have to put this together now um but hopefully that's what's in the in the box um so that's a gym staff wise we hired a virtual assistant who's going to take be or who is has already been taking over a lot of the load from kira and uh that's that's been working quite well so far so hopefully as we progress we'll be able to hand hand off more and more tasks uh to her so she's been really good so far and um then we're actually have agreed to just hire another physiotherapist who's going to be coming on board hopefully at the start of april um so she's going to be coming on board and we're going to be able to do some more in-person stuff and some more online stuff and taking on more clients for like packages eight weeks 10 week 12 week kind of packages okay we'll rehab your issue that you've had for five years and can't get rid of let's do it let's get you signed up and just do the full thing we'll take over your training we'll take over everything um that type of thing so that's going to be really good um in the last week i've taught two private workshops one was it with the guys in back to basics in dublin which is an unbelievable gym um kind of mostly like small group classes they do a little bit of um they do a little bit of one-to-one work there as well i think with lewis who came to our dublin workshop last year as well and uh, they just do loads of good stuff loads of cool stuff they have a really nice coffee shop and like it's like a five-star hotel in there that's what that like that's how i thought of that gym when i walked in the vibe the place was clean best of equipment coffee shop all this stuff it's like that if I was ever opening a gym, I would want to be, I would be thinking like five-star hotel. This is what I'm going to do. And if you can make your place like that, where the energy is right, the place looks right, and you get the results, then you're going to have clients for for life, basically. So that was really cool. And then the other one, I taught a workshop in, um, in the UK in a place called Tidworth, um, which is kind of close to Southampton. I flew into Southampton. It's a military, it was a military base that I was on. And um, it was with all a lot of rehab professionals there came. And I taught a one day workshop of kind of a, a condensed version of our lower limb workshop for them to go on. And I tweaked it up a bit because they work with uh, military personnel and um they have certain demands on their bodies and they have certain types of inner injuries that they might pick up. So that was cool that was really enjoyable um so that was that workshop and then in terms of public workshops coming up we have uh we've three that have been announced and they all sold out so we announced munich and that sold out in 24 hours and then we announced munich um a second a second date for another weekend in munich um and that was sold out again in a few days because there was a big waiting list from the first one and then we have london which is sold out as well so those are the three hopefully we'll have some more uh coming soon so the first question is going to be pretty short can you explain the main difference between a yielding and overcoming isometric so I'm not going to go into like the physiology and all that stuff because it would be more speculation uh, than anything else not speculation but parts of it would be speculation but to make it simple i think the main difference is time time is going to be the main difference when it comes to yielding iso versus an overcoming iso overcoming iso you'll typically see people doing something where they're pretty much pushing as hard as they can into an immovable object 
So you can do like a push against a wall that obviously you're never, you can push for the rest of your life. You're never going to hopefully push over that wall. If you do, it was poorly built. Um, and any yielding isometric is where you could just get up and you're not pushing into the wall. You're just kind of hanging out there. Are you doing a, a hamstring bridge on the floor and you're just hanging out there you're not trying to push as hard as possible you're just not trying to lose if that makes sense you're not trying to fall back down um you'll hear people talking about many different use cases for one versus the other but the main thing the main differentiator here needs to be time in your own mind as a a coach or clinician because let's say you're going to push as hard as possible and you try and choose an overcoming isometric and the the goal is to push as hard as possible for three minutes then yes you can keep pushing as hard as possible for the whole three minutes but how hard you push diminishes uh really really quickly uh you if you had a force plate there you would see that drop after five seven ten seconds you would see it drop significantly and it would keep dropping through probably throughout the whole three minutes if it didn't drop at all that would mean that you're not pushing as hard as possible you're pushing but you're not pushing in the way you think you are so an overcoming isometric needs to be pretty short in time so that you can drive intensity up through the roof whereas a yielding isometric if you're just hanging out there, then let's so let's say an overcoming, you're going to go for five seconds. Let's just use that as a as a as a as a round number, five seconds for an overcoming isometric. If you choose a yielding isometric where you're just hanging out there for five seconds, that's probably useless because you're not. It's not a long enough time to get any type of stimulus. So an overcoming isometric might need to be five minutes sorry a yielding isometric might need to be five minutes to get the stimulus and overcoming isometric might need to be five seconds to get the stimulus if that makes sense so the main difference is time a yielding isometric there's no point doing it for a short amount of time because there's very little stimulus there the stimulus is the the stress is gathering as you stay there for longer and longer and longer imagine doing an isometric lunge and holding it for three minutes that becomes unbelievably nasty towards the end and maybe that's when good stuff is starting to happen because the tendon starts to get pulled on more and more and more as you hold if you're doing it for tendon reasons um whereas an overcoming isometric you again yeah it has to be short it has to be short so time is the main factor there you could go into tendon health if you're talking about like an unhealthy tendon uh, i'm not talking about per- a performance tendon but an unhealthy tendon can't perform well anyway so uh if you're talking about an unhealthy tendon that you're trying to rehab then a yielding isometric is going to be a better option in the beginning because you can hold it there for longer isometric usually means like it's relatively safe you're not bouncing around so the tendon isn't getting uh pulled on it it is getting pulled on as you hold the isometric but not fast that's the key point there so it's a it's a it's slowly getting pulled on which is slowly loading the tendon and the thought process there is it's potentially giving it's potentially giving the tendon a chance to load in a certain way that it doesn't usually load. And also, 
The other thing is it's loading the muscle. It's it's as you hold, let's say, a leg extension, if you're talking about a patellar tendon and you're going to hold it for 45 seconds, as you hold it for longer and longer, the mus- more you, you should hopefully feel more and more and more muscle in your quadriceps coming to the party because sometimes when you uh, have a patellar tendinopathy or any tendinopathy, there's usually a lot of inhibition around that area in the muscle. So like if you try to do an overcoming isometric where you just push as hard as possible for five seconds, number one, you're not getting a chance to actually get the muscle to fatigue and load the muscle particularly well. Number two, you're not getting the chance for the tendon to get pulled on slowly, which the thought process might be that it's getting a chance to remodel a little bit. And um, number three, you're probably, if you're someone that has a bad tendinopathy and you try to do an overcoming isometric where you just push as hard as possible for five seconds, number three, you're probably going to get knee pain. It's probably going to feel sore. Whereas in the yielding isometric, if you're just holding there and it's getting particularly heavy for longer and longer and longer, you're actually, it might start off sore, but actually hopefully as you go along, you should start to feel more and more and more of your quadriceps rather than more and more and more of your knee, if that makes sense. So you could get into a lot of the physiology around what's happening at the level of the tendon, the level of the muscle, but, um, and I have done presentations on that in the past, but I guess for this podcast, the main, you said, you asked what the main difference between the yielding and overcoming ISO is, time is the main difference, short time versus long time. And then uh, because time is the main difference, that means that your intention needs to match the time. If it's a short time and overcome an overcoming isometric, you need to have an intent to push as hard as possible. Otherwise, it's just pointless doing it. If it's a long time, you need to have an intent to not push as long as possible, as hard as possible. Well, you can push as hard as possible, uh, but that will only last for a very short amount of time. And then you're going to still be pushing as hard as possible or pulling as hard as possible throughout. But that that is just going to get uh, that, uh, that amount of force that you're applying is going to reduce throughout, if that makes sense. Uh, so you can think about doing an overcoming you can still think about pushing as hard as possible or pulling as hard as possible for the entire rep, um, which could be three minutes long. But obviously, again, if you're looking at a, a force plate, you would see that the force being applied has reduced, um, is continuing is continuing to diminish. Um, I did want to say something else there, but sometimes, sometimes you can have a yielding ISO at one... Uh, at one part of your body and an overcoming ISO at another part of your body during the same exercise. Uh, I wasn't planning on going into this, but you can have that. If you think about a foam roller bridge, for example, you could have, okay, I'm going to put my foot on the foam roller and I'm going to lift my hips a bit. At the level of the hip, I don't tell you to push as hard as possible your hip up into the sky. I don't find that valuable. I tell you to just lift your hip a little bit and hold it there. So, Around the hip muscles there, it's, it's a yielding isometric. But for certain people, I actually ask them to push their foot down into the foam roller as hard as possible or to lift their high as hard as possible. Uh, lift their heel as high as possible, sorry. So what that means is you could potentially start to think of it as an overcoming isometric around the ankle because you're plantar flexing as hard as possible. You're not going to break the foam roller or break the floor. You are pushing as hard as possible into an immovable object at your ankle, but you're just holding there at your hip, if that makes sense. I'm not saying that's how you should do a foam roller. I'm saying some a foam roller bridge. I'm saying sometimes 
that is how I cue a foam roller bridge for someone where I want to really get more and more and more intent through the foot and the ankle and the calf complex, as people like to call it. So hopefully that makes sense. The main difference to me is time, which drives intent to be different then. Okay, second question. Uh, I do feel very rusty recording this podcast, by the way, so bear with me. I also have an AeroPress. We've brought our coffee machine out to um, out to the new house, so I have, I've made an AeroPress coffee for the first time in several years, and if you're on YouTube, you can see it looks kind of weird. It's not that nice, to be honest, but I usually have a, pot, a coffee. I'm, I'm like a... Like we all are. I have habits. So usually when I record a podcast, I like a coffee. Partly because of the placebo, which is like, it gives me energy, whether it does or not. I don't know. Uh, okay, second question. What do you do if someone keeps going off the plan, rehab plan, and keeps uh, flaring up? So their pain keeps flaring up. They keep going off the plan. I have had so many of these questions recently. I do do a little bit of mentoring sometimes for... Um, coaches and clinicians i also have friends that can sometimes ask me questions and i also have uh other coaches and clinicians that might work for us that might ask us ask me questions and and, uh, no i don't mean ask me questions just have conversations with and this keeps coming up recently that someone is going off the plan and flaring up constantly not like once constantly and I think this is one of the most important things to understand. How do I put it? Especially as a clinician, where you're dealing with pain more often, you have to, and a coach, because you could just replace the word pain with like, for, as, a, as a regular coach, excuse me, if you're not working with pain, you could still say the person is going off the plan and not that they're flaring up, but they're like, limiting their performance because they keep going off the plan so it's a it's a similar thing so this this is really what separates okay or good coaches and clinicians from really good ones it's the ability to uh, get their clients to stick to the plan and get their clients to actually just fucking listen to them that's uh really really important so when I was thinking about this, I usually don't think about how I'm going to answer these questions. I just pick good questions that I've been asked. I have a, like a full notes uh, section in my iPhone. And I'll, anytime I get asked uh, what I think is a good question or a valuable question for other people, I'll write it down. And then I'll just start recording. And I, I won't answer anything that I don't think I have a decent answer to. But um but yeah, but this one I did think about because I was like, how am I going to approach this? And I think I'm going to try and ta- tackle this. Like I'm going to try and go into a bit of detail on this. So they keep getting flared up. They keep going off the plan. It's happening again and again and again and again. And not just with you, it's happened with previous previous clinicians. And this does happen with people for years on end. They keep flaring up for years on end, their back, their knee, their ankle, their whatever. And you need to understand that they are taking an optimistic view at training. So they think that they are, for some reason in their mind, that this is this time it's going to be different. And at some stage, you have to realize that that optimism, which is a good thing, we want people to be optimistic about their body and their training. But at some stage, that optimism has started to spill into delusion 
they are now delusional because I looked up the definition of delusional and delusion, one definition anyway, was a false belief or judgment about external reality, despite there being incontrovertible evidence to the contrary. So they they keep flaring up again and 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 they must believe that the training that they do, like they keep going into the gym and doing a certain training, they must believe that it, this time it's going to be different. Like this time I was on the plan for the month and now I'm just going to go back. I'm not listening to my coach. I'm going to go back and do what I always do, despite them telling me that I'm not ready or whatever. And they flare up again. They they do the same shit that they always did. And they're optimistic about it. They must be because otherwise, why would they do it? But there, there is now at certain at a certain stage. Oh, sorry, something just flicked. At a certain stage, it does become delusion because there is incontrovertible evidence to the contrary. It's, it's. We have so a massive bank of evidence that actually, it's, it's probably most likely not going to be okay because it's happened a hundred times in the past, and uh, again, this is it is a theoretical conversation I'm having here, but I have at least five people that I can think of that I have had conversations about this exact thing in the last month where their client was doing this exact thing. So it's not like this does not happen. So at some stage, they've spilled into delusion. They have some delusional ideas around where their body is at the moment and what it can handle. These type of people, like an optimist, an an optimistic person is far better to work with than a pessimistic person about their body. There's there's nothing more difficult than working with someone who's very pessimistic because what they believe is that no matter what I do, this is never going to get better. They have lost all hope. That's a really difficult person to work with. And it does take a skilled person to try and start to bring them back to the light and, and actually give them back some hope. Um, and and get them to feel a little bit of progress and not constantly like gaslight themselves basically where into thinking that yeah they're no good so pessimism that's really difficult optimism that's how you want people to to operate from but at some stage they start some people start to become delusional because there's no evidence that actually what you're doing is helping we need to have a different plan so um there's something called the Stockdale Paradox. If anyone has heard of James Stockdale, he was a prisoner of war in the Vietnam War. And it was like the conditions were a disaster there, let's say. Um, really, really difficult. And what I think when he was asked about like who was able to survive, survive there, he said that the optimists were the ones that didn't survive because they kept believing that we were going to be out by Christmas. Christmas came and went, we're going to be out by Easter. Easter came and went, we're going to be out by summer. And eventually they just like completely got broken and they lost all hope because they couldn't actually face the reality that they were where they were and there wasn't, there wasn't that much hope. So the Stockdale paradox is, uh, the definition of that is, hang on, I think I have it here. Or one, if you go on Wikipedia, um, the Stockdale paradox, hang on, I had a definition there. Let me find it for you because I don't want to mess this up. 
So the Stockdale paradox, you must have unwavering, you must maintain unwavering faith that you can and will prevail in the end, regardless of the difficulties, and at the same time, have the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they may be. So I'll read that again. You must maintain unwavering faith that you can and will prevail in the end, regardless of the difficulties, and at the same time, have the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they may be. So the people that are continually flaring up and they keep doing the same stupid thing that keeps flaring them up, it is your job to help them understand the to have the uh, help them to have the discipline to confront the most brutal fla- brutal facts of your current reality whatever they might be it's your job to help them understand their current reality i don't i'm not saying you need to help them understand exactly how bad a place they're in but they do need to try and understand their current reality which is you are not able to train in that way at the moment but at the same time, you have to be trying to be skilled enough to help them maintain unwavering faith that you can and will prevail in the end. A lot of the time, good coaches and therapists, that's what they're doing without labeling it or without getting into the psychology side of things. They're helping someone actually who's had chronic issues confront the current reality that they're in while still giving them a lot of faith that it will be good in the end. But if you want it to be good, we need to accept your reality so that we can stick to a plan. So that is how I think you need to approach these people who keep flaring up. Number one, you need to have a candid conversation with them, especially if they've been with you and the plan was going well, and then they flared up again, and this happened with previous clinicians again and again and again, they're going to end up blaming you and say that the plan didn't work and then they're going to move on to the next clinician and do the same thing again so you need to help them understand where they are what your current reality is your back or your knee for whatever reason i'm not blaming it on anything but for whatever reason is not able for what you're doing right now and if you keep flaring it up all our good work will go down the drain i'm not i don't mean like one flare up oh shit it just flared up you did too much i actually love when people do that not love i really like when people do that because it shows me they're ambitious they're trying to push forward but if this i'm saying if this keeps happening again and again you have to help them understand their current reality map out a plan and tell them and help them understand why it's so important to actually stick to the plan and that is what should give them hopefully faith that it will be okay in the end so the question can you uh what do you do if someone keeps going off the plan and it keeps flaring up you need to understand that probably they're an optimistic person but that optimism has started to bleed into delusion now there has there's no evidence to suggest that just continuing to go off the plan and continuing to train the way they want to train is actually going to work there is no evidence for that there's evidence to the exact opposite of that so their optimism has spilled into delusion and You need to be the person that doesn't tell them they're broken, doesn't tell them they're fucked, doesn't tell them they can't get fixed because now, like, one, either they're not going to listen to you or two, you're just going to destroy all faith that they actually had. So you can't be that person. You need to be the skilled enough communicator to help them understand their current reality while keeping faith and understanding that it's the plan that's going to get you back to doing what you want to do, not going off the plan doing that. They will tell you, but I do love training in this way. And 
and and training in this may, way makes me really happy and actually you have to question that as well because does it does it really because usually when someone is in this much pain and it keeps flaring up what you'll see is that they're really fucking miserable pain can be very depressive it can make you anxious it can help it can kind of turn you into a pessimist we've anyone who's had chronic pain we've been there uh, you could it can be very it can make you very depressed or semi-depressed and do so do they love training in this way no no they they actually don't uh they are confusing the adrenaline rush and the dopamine hit that they get from that training session to them actually being happy they're 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 really they're actually that's a massive confusion in their mind they're getting they're trading one hour of a dopamine hit to one week or two weeks sometimes of a massive flare-up if you have sciatica and you keep doing stupid shit you could be immobilized for two weeks after doing it because you went off the plan and you didn't actually listen and stick to the plan so you don't love training in this way you love the hit that you get the feeling that you get and it's not making you happy it's making you the exact opposite so we because that's what they will throw back at you i I really want i really enjoy this is what makes me happy it is what makes you happy or maybe it was in the past but at the moment it's what's making you it's doing the exact opposite it's the very thing that is flaring you up and making you sad and anxious and upset so if you want to have a longer sustained period of happiness, again, you need to stick to the plan so that when we get you back training in that way that you say you love, you can actually keep training in the way that you say you love. Um, so yeah, I'm not saying that they shouldn't train in that way. They can train in whatever way they want eventually if they stick to the plan. So a lot of this comes with actually confront confronting their current reality in a way or helping them confront their current reality in a way that um in a way that doesn't break them in a way that doesn't steal their uh faith and their optimism so i think uh the stockdale paradox which obviously you could go and study that and you could go and listen to someone who really actually knows what they're talking about not me when they're describing that stuff but that's my kind of best attempt so I went broad on that. Like I didn't go, what What do you do as in, right, here is the exact conversation that you have with someone. We could go into that as well if you wanted, but I just thought I'd frame it in a more of a, hopefully a critical thinking type of way that this is why they're doing it in the first place. And for you to, what do you do is like, you could do a, there's a million ways of going about it, but this is why it's actually happening in the first place. So don't let them confuse and don't let them throw back at you that this makes me happy it doesn't you're in pain for weeks on end after you train in that way that is not making you happy that is making you sad and anxious you're confusing the adrenaline rush you get from training in that way to actually being a happy person if you want to be happy for a longer sustained period of time stick to the plan if you want to become a smarter, more confident, and more successful coach or therapist in 2024, then our member site, DGR Interactive, is the place to be. You can join over a 1,000 other coaches and therapists in there. You only need about 15 minutes a week. We have hundreds of hours of content there, but it's all broken down by topic. It's short, sharp, and practical information that will help you become a much more successful movement professional. It will help you earn a lot more money ethically because you are better at helping your clients. So 
join all the other people learning in DJR Interactive. I'll put the link in the show notes and I guarantee you, you'll love it in there. Uh, okay, last question. Can you put up a video explaining the perfect gate cycle? Um, so the word perfect is the issue here because um, there is no such thing. Um, and if you did that these days online, you said this is the perfect gate cycle, you would get absolutely lambasted online by people for, for saying that. So I think there's just key markers that you want to look at um, when it comes to the gate cycle. I will probably do a video because I will a uh, video would help here, but I wanted to just this question kind of came in this morning. So I said, right, I'll just tackle that a little bit. So don't compare your gate cycle to anyone else, I think, first of all, um, or a client's gate cycle to anyone else. You can, if you start to get into the if you start to get into the high-end performance world, which comes with like sprinting and stuff like that, that's when, yes, you can start to compare it to other people. But if you're not quite there, uh, I would suggest comparing the gate cycle to uh, the person in front of you, which is you're comparing left side and right side, and you're having a look at that because you want to be able to, in your mind, split someone into two when you're looking at gait and you're thinking they have a left side of their body, they have a right side of their body. When they're on their left leg, can they compress? Because this is a this is a center of mass thing. Can they compress? And how do they get their center of mass over their left leg, particularly when it comes to stance? Just think about stance. Don't break stance into too many parts. Just think mid stance when I'm fully on my left leg. How does that look when I'm on my right leg, right stance? How does that look? In the beginning, break someone into two, right stance and left stance. Don't worry about swing phase. Don't worry about early, middle and late. Don't worry about... um like when it comes to sprinting, sp- swing leg retraction, don't worry about um, late propulsion, early propulsion, max propulsion. Look at stance in the beginning because this sounds like, like this is a question, I think, from someone who probably hasn't looked too much at the gate cycle stuff. So in the beginning, I'm just saying look at stance, left stance, right stance. Can you compress into your left leg and how do you get your center of mass on top of your left leg and how does it organize in left stance how does it organize in right stance that's a really good place to begin because if someone bends their knee when they're in right stance let's say they bend their knee on on the right side but they don't bend their knee on the left side i won't say that the right side is better are perfect let's say but i would like to see that's a component when you're in left stance i'd love to see that you actually bent your left leg your knee because if you don't bend your knee like nothing else good is going to happen you actually haven't got into some flexion so now you can't push off into extension again so that's a little thing so that's a little thing that you can just say okay i'm comparing right and left sides and on the right side, they actually do bend their knee when they're coming into mid stance on the right, but they don't on the left. So there's something that you could pick out. Now, is it because of the knee? Maybe. Maybe they're avoiding knee flexion on that left side because they have knee pain or they've had uh, knee issues in the past or whatever. Maybe when they come into the left side, they have an ankle that is uh, not happy to go into ankle dorsiflexion for whatever reason, whatever reason. So, because when the knee flexes, the ankle needs to flex as well. 
and then the hip needs to flex. So maybe it's that they're not happy to access hip flexion. So all of these flexions kind of happen together in left stance and right stance. So they are some key things to start to look at. How do they organize their body in left stance? How do they organize their body in right stance? You can compare them with each other. Um, And then you can start to link that back to their injury history or uh, their training history, potentially. I have a race walker, Kate. She does not love to, to bend her ankles, knees, or hips in stance because her job or her career um as a elite athlete is she does now when she goes for a normal walk now she does flex her knees and her ankles and her hips but before if i was just walking along beside kate like we're walking over to that fence over there to look out over the fence and look at the sun she would walk the way she does in a race walk which is you don't flex any of that stuff not uh, certainly not your knees so is it an injury history thing? Is it a training history thing? Is it a belief thing that someone told them you shouldn't flex your ankle? You should do something else. Um, so yeah, there's a there's a million reasons why this stuff might occur, but at least you understand that in left stance, I need to get on top of my left foot. I need to have some flexion in my leg. Oh, the flexion happens together, ankle, knee, and hip. In right stance, the same thing. I think that's a really good place to start. Then the second place which might be a bit confusing, which I do break down in our workshops, is understanding your internal rotation. So within stance, you need to have internal rotation and adduction at your hip. Because if you if you adduct, it means you're coming across. Hip, ab, hip adduction means you're coming across. Your body is adducting, or uh, the, the leg is adducting, but when it's in the closed chain, you're actually shifting your weight across. Think of adduction as shifting towards the leg. If your right foot is in front and your left foot is behind, let's say you're pushing off your left foot and you're coming onto your right foot, you're going to have to adduct. You're going to have to shift across onto the right side. Otherwise, you're getting onto your right leg, but you're falling back to the left. So you need to get over on top of your right leg. So you need adduction, and adduction comes with internal rotation. So I have two words that I use in our workshops. One word is collecting internal rotation, which is happening on the way to mid stance. I'm collecting internal rotation, hopefully at my foot, hopefully at my tibia, hopefully at my femur. And then uh, as I come in more to the end of mid stance, hopefully at my hip. So I've collected it all there. Then if you've collected it, you're going to use it. Use it, collect and use. Collect your IR, use it. Using it is the pushing part. I push through the floor from an internally rotated position. I've collected to get onto the leg at my hips, my knees, my ankles, and I have pushed using the internal rotation that I've collected, which is like I have a little bit of length in some of these tissues. There's a nice length tension relationships. It's a nice place to push from. So, once you understand mid stance on the right and left, then you can start to think, how do they collect? How do they get there? Do they collect their internal rotation? They definitely do, but where do they collect it from? Some people will collect it from their back. Some people will collect it from a massive knee valgus or everting the foot. Some people will collect it in a different way. I'm not saying any of those things are right or wrong. I'm just, uh, I'm, when I look at movement and, uh, and movement analysis, it's, excuse me, uh, it's, I almost flamed on the mic. I'm looking at how do you do something? Let's start there. Let's take away the judgment and let's just see what's happening. And then let's try and understand why it's happening. And then we can understand 
or try and understand if we want to do something about it. That's the thing. That's the next question. If I want to make a change, and then if I do want to make a change, we can talk about or we can try and understand how we're going to make a change uh, in the most efficient way. Okay. So firstly, what is actually happening? Secondly, why is it happening? Is it is it happening because you have an injury? Is it happening because you have an avoidance strategy? Is it happening because you always move this way? Blah, blah, blah. And then um, do we want to do something about it? Maybe yes, maybe no. And then finally, what are we going to do about it? That's how you need to look at gait. Uh, because sometimes, let's say someone might not flex their knee when they walk, which is incredibly common. And you might talk about all this gait cycle stuff and they might have knee pain and you might be talking about biomechanics uh, for blah 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 blah. you need to ir the tibia and do this with the femur and do this with the foot i see it online all the time but maybe they go on a leg extension for two weeks maybe their knee starts to feel better because their quads are they're getting a little bit of stimulus into their quads it it changes like how their brain interprets that area and now maybe they flex their knee when they walk or when they run not because you changed like the biomechanics of, of things. It's because you changed the pain. You changed the interpretation of that area. And now when they flex their knee, maybe now they actually adduct and internally rotate their hip and do shift across and do collect the IR in that way and then do and then use it by pushing. So so yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I should have done an episode on this on its own, but yeah, collect and use IR that's uh, once you understand mid stance you can start to think about how do they collect it and then how do they use it and then i like to teach by going into the swing phase and then i like to teach about talking about running and then i like to teach talking about sprinting um and change of direction but if you can understand collect and use internal rotation then that applies to everything else it applies to your plyometrics it applies to your squatting it, it applies to your hinging it applies to how people walk how people run how people sprint how people change direction understanding how people collect and use their internal rotation that's why our model works so incredibly well for analyzing and understanding movement because i'm not talking about walking gait or sprinting gait or all of these things these concepts apply to human movement uh collect ir use ir it applies and on uh, it applies to human movement which applies to everything it's not a walking gate model a sprinting gate model a gym model or anything like that um so that is the podcast incredibly messy podcast uh with some absolutely terrible psychology in the middle if you are saying this guy doesn't know what he's talking about he's an idiot he's this and that i completely agree with you you don't need to actually you don't need to tell me you don't need to take the piss out of me to your friends you can if you want you don't need to say he's trying to be something i completely agree with you i do not know what i'm talking about for any of this stuff i'm just trying my best and i think you should do that too if you are interested in creating content or have something to say try your best maybe you don't know what you're talking about like me that's fine hope you enjoyed the podcast let me know if you did because we're back maybe we're back maybe we're back maybe we're not let me know it depends uh i really do stuff i create instagram content because i get feedback on it you get feedback through comments and likes and stuff i create um dj interactive videos because we have members we have no choice we have to keep creating content for the members because they're paying that's their feedback but the podcast they get very little feedback i get a little bit of feedback a few people give me some feedback please is this any good 
share it on your story that's what will that's what will make me do more podcasts if you like the podcast share the podcast so that i do actually more podcasts so uh yeah Hope that was helpful. We need to do this webinar for DGR Interactive. Make sure you're a member of that. Uh, Donny Fox and Tracy Faber Fober are going to um, be doing a one-hour live webinar, our first live webinar. Uh, well, yeah, since the very beginning, I did like one or two. Our first live webinar, and they're going to talk about, actually going to talk a lot about gate, like rehab and gate and a universal kind of model of the gate cycle and how then you can fill in the gaps and use uh, movement to try and train this stuff. I actually don't know exactly what they're going to talk about, which is great. I can't wait for it. So make sure you're part of DJ Interactive. Make sure you've got our foot program. Make sure you've got lower body basics, upper body basics, any of those things that you haven't got. Um, I promise you they will be valuable for you as a coach clinician or just someone who wants to train your own body um, and feel better. We'll put all the links in the show notes. Thank you so much. Hopefully we're back. I need to go to the toilet and um, so good to be back and I'll chat to you guys soon. Bye.